Hey, Business and Buckets fans, we are live, episode 31. We hit the 30s, the the the, the trilogy, I guess you could say, of, of podcasts, cranking out that content on this beautiful summer day here in Seattle, Washington. But before we talk sports this week, uh, just know that I have also launched Business Episode 6, featuring entrepreneur and business sales professional Zach Batson. I believe his official name is Zachary. So make sure to check that out. If you like the uh, monthly business editions, really just sitting down with entrepreneurs, successful business people, talking about their story, their life experiences. So we could take some of that, potentially learn from that, you know, see different career paths that we could take and see how other people are doing things versus just talking about what's happening in today's world. And also, don't forget Fueled Supplements. You know, if it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Fueled Supplements' newest product, Creatine Monohydrate. Why take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle's tissue primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. There's 100 servings. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, safe and effective. So you guys know the deal. Go to uh, fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products besides whey protein. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. But lots happening in the sports world, especially in the um, NHL and NBA world with playoffs pretty much coming down to the last stretch and the finish line. Um, you know, I was able to go to game five in Salt Lake, uh, so we could talk a little bit about that. Still repping some jazz swag I got out there in Salt Lake. It's not easy to buy jazz swag. Go to Fanatics, you go to the team stores. There's just not a lot of options, but going to Salt Lake, you got all the cool options because they're not that popular, I guess you can say. But let's start with the NFL. Some interesting things, mm, you know, more so drama, if anything, in the NFL world, um, but first thing, Carl Nassib is the first openly gay active player in the NFL. But not only that, he also pledged $100,000 to the Trevor Project, which uh, supports the LGBTQ uh, community. So, you know, props to Carl Nassib for doing that. The first active player, the power in doing so has been tremendous. And I believe since he's done that, he's the number one selling jersey on Fanatics. So props to you, Carl. What a beast. You know, he, he's an awesome guy. You got to see him on Hard Knocks when the Raiders were there. Uh, you know, caught me by surprise a little bit, but I'm, I'm glad that he was able to do so and has the, you know, the confidence and, and the openness to be able to speak out publicly. And I'm sure we'll see this more and more as time goes on. Frank Clark arrested in L.A. on suspicion of concealed gun with uh, Uzi visible in his car. So Frank Clark, stud player coming from Seattle, getting signed by the Chiefs. For me, that's just a bump in the road. I don't think we'll see anything crazy. Maybe some fines from on his end. Um, Eli Manning rejoining the Giants, not as a QB, but in business operations and fan engagement, helping the Giants kick things off. I'm sure he will be involved with Danny Dimes and in and, and his development as well. Uh, but I'm sure Eli is happy to rejoin the New York football giants. And then <clears throat> rookie Jalen Twyman got shot, uh, expected to make full recovery for the Minnesota Vikings. 
He was in a car that got shot four times. Scary incident. Glad to see he's okay, especially as a rookie trying to make his way and pave his path in the NFL. And then we also have the Saints running back Alvin Kamara that we all know is now advising for NASCAR on growing the fan base. Obviously, he's been involved on Twitter, speaking out uh, publicly about race and things that are happening in NASCAR. So, you know, awesome. He, he That's a hobby. It's a passion of his in NASCAR. Now he gets to be involved with that. He can make changes. So props to you, Mr. Alvin Kamara, excelling on and off the football field. That's what makes superstars great. Way to use your your your, your presence and power and um, forum to be able to, to make change. And then in Arizona, uh, rookies Cardinal Zavin Collins, the big-time linebacker that they drafted, arrested for excessive speed and reckless driving. I'm assuming that's a new car he bought with his contract. Um, uh, you know, that's just a guess. But, yeah, more drama than anything, but uh, tough to see. Again, probably just a slap on the wrist, maybe some fines. I wouldn't expect anything crazy. But if you are a fan of the Cardinals, the Vikings, or even the Chiefs with Frank Clark, the biggest issue here is, you know, consistent actions. If this happens consistently, where there's smoke, there's fire, there'll probably be more issues, a.k.a. Antonio Brown. As a Steelers fan, there was always something. But, hey, hopefully they can stick to football, get their heads on straight, and seek some mentorship so they don't end up in the news. But let's talk UFC. Lots of different things happening in the fight world. Some headlines before we recap last week's uh, uh, fight night card on Saturday. Mr. Luis Pena, um, the silent Bob Ross, uh, he's a guy that I liked, Ultimate Fighter alum, was arrested in Florida on robbery and battery charges. Seems to be pretty serious. He had talked about some of his mental health issues that he's been battling. So hopefully Luis Pena can get this figured out, get back into the octagon because his last fight was a great victory and he is a promising uh, young star in the UFC. Instead of the young fighters, we got the old vets, Mr. Anderson Silva, dipping, diving, and dodging, beating Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. by split decision in a boxing match. I didn't get to see this boxing match, but I watched the highlights. It looked like old Silva doing his head bobbing, waving him on, and I'm sure that's got to be tough uh, from a you know older but ex-professional boxer to lose to someone who who isn't you know a boxing first athlete. And then Treshawn Gore on the Ultimate Fighter wins for Team Brian Ortega as they are now 3-0. And because I'm recording this on Wednesday and not Tuesday night like I should have been, I got to watch episode four as well. And Ortega gets another win and goes 4-0 in the season. Things start getting chippy with Ortega and Volkanovski. Um, yeah, fun banter. That's the stuff we like to see. I hope that continues builds the momentum because it just makes the fighting promotion more exciting and builds up that fight even more, even though I just don't see Ortega beating Volkanovski. We'll dissect that fight when it happens, but it would be great for Max Holloway, my guy, and the rest of the division if that was able to happen. But yeah, Ortega on the coaching side, kicking some ass. Um, he's matched up some lower-level guys to Volkanovski's higher-level guys and got the job done. And the preview for Episode 5, which if you don't know is on ESPN+, Plus. Uh, you know, obviously Ultimate Fighter, ESPN Plus every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9, p 9 p.m. Eastern. And they're talking about the, the two last picks from each team fighting this next fight. So it will be interesting to see if Mr. Volkanovsky can change the pace. And something that I don't expect to say, uh, or I don't think I ever could have said, Max Holloway pulling out of the bout against Yair Rodriguez with an injury. 
Um, you know, it's said cancel. There's there's rumors that they're trying to reschedule, but Max is very durable, never has to usually have that issue. So uh, I haven't seen what the injury is, but I would assume it's got to be somewhat serious if he's going to pull out. Uh, but hopefully that fight can happen because that would be stylistically uh, UFC's fans' dream matchup. Uh, some more older vet action. Vitor Belfort is going to uh, box old vet Oscar De La Hoya. Uh, really hyping that up. You know, I'm not sure which promotion is going to host this. Triller, Showtime. I don't know when it's going to happen. All I know is if Vitor's juicing up, this is going to be interesting. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he beat Oscar at this point in their careers. And it'd be another win for MMA and boxing over the boxers. Rory McDonald, one of the PFL elite fighters, ex-UFC fighter, took a loss in the PFL. Was very controversial. A lot of people thought Rory won, but tough loss for him as he, you know, tries to uh, battle through the PFL and, you know, be one of their the faces of that franchise. So I uh, thought we'd bring that up because I liked him in the in the UFC, and that's a tough loss for him. Fun fight announcement. We have Askar Askarov versus Alex Perez, which shows that Mr. Brandon Moreno will not be fighting Askar Askarov, who would, in my opinion, be the first person for him to fight. So to me, it's potentially a rematch versus Divison, which he and his camp doesn't seem to be interested in, which I don't blame them. So mostly, uh, most likely Alexander Pentoja will be the next guy fighting for the flyweight title. So let's talk fight night last week. Um, I didn't watch the full card. This isn't a card that I feel like you really missed out on a ton of action. Uh, but the first fight we're going to talk about was exciting. And I'm sure if you didn't watch the card, is viral all over social media. With the veteran Matt Brown getting a second round knockout over Diego Lima. How about Matt Brown, man? A vet of the sport, 40 years old, goes and delivers and it's his first win since 2019. He also got performance of the night bonus. I'm not sure what his contract situation is right now, uh, but it shows, you know, uh, a knockout and fight like that shows that he can still fight. But what a nasty knockout. I mean, Lima was done for right after that punch hit him in the head. He crumpled, did the lawn chair, collapsed in half. What a fucking punch by Mr. Matt Brown. A very tough few weeks for the Lima brothers as his brother in the Bellator promotion has been known as one of the best fighters that could come to the UFC and potentially take a title, has also lost. Uh, we talked about that last week. And then here you go, Diego Lima in the UFC against an old vet. Couldn't get the job done. Got waxed out there. So tough week for the Lima brothers. But I hope we get to see both of these guys still in the UFC. Um, again, Matt Brown being 40, it's tough to say. And Diego Lima coming off some losses. Um, Lima has lost two in a row and hasn't won since 2019 himself. So going to be interesting to see the futures of these two fighters. And then we had a little rematch action of a ranked fighter. Uh, the 15th ranked Marlon Vera has a unanimous decision over Davy Grant, which if you're a fight fan, Davy Grant, Marlon Vera, like I really don't give two shits about, but this was Cheeto's opportunity to get re revenge to revenge a loss on his record. Uh, Davy Grant had beat him you know, earlier in his, in his career. And I had picked Cheeto in this fight. I picked Lima in the first one, so I didn't win a parlay. Um, but I picked Cheeto in this fight because he's been fighting higher level competition. I figured that would bring him up. And that seemed to be the case. You know, I don't expect him to be able to move up into the rankings and fight a lot of ranked fighters as Davy Grant wasn't near the rankings. 
But the UFC did give him the 13th spot, so he moved up from 15th to 13th in the bantamweight rankings. I just, I'm not that high on Cheeto. He was able to outlast Grant and pour it on late. You know, Marlon had uh, 112 total strikes and 105 of those being significant versus Davies 95 and 83 of those 95 being significant. Uh, Cheeto also had two takedowns versus Grant's one. Uh, Definitely had some major control time throughout the fight. Was able to land the unanimous decision, but I wasn't massively impressed for a non-ranked fighter. I'm shocked that he got to move up in the rankings. Um, He took Cody Stamen's 13th and Stamen went to 15th, which I think Stamen would destroy... (laughs) Uh, Cheeto, but hey, it is what it is. That's how the fight game works. You keep winning, you keep putting in work, you, you get those opportunities. Uh, but yeah, I just don't expect him to be able to really have a case for fighting a higher level ranked fighter as he got a chance with Jose Aldo and couldn't get the job done. And then moving into the heavyweights, we had Sergi Spivak, who I picked with unanimous decision over Alexi Olinick. Olinick got one takedown and had a submission attempt, but that was it. This is the game plan that uh, Olenek needed to be able to catch the victory here. But Spivak looked like the younger and fresher fighter for sure. Uh, Sergi had 112 total strikes and 71 of those being significant versus Olenek's 98 total strikes and 59 of those being significant. So Spivak now in the rankings for the first time at number 14 as obviously Alexi falls out. Again, another older vet. The heavyweight division granted a little bit different with knockout power. But I'm not sure what his contract situation is. Uh, but this has to be close to his UF to the end of his UFC tenure, as now he has three straight losses in the heavyweight division. And then this is a three-fight win streak for Spivak, which you know I would love to see him fight the other young uh, fighter in the division, Tom Aspinall, or uh, potentially uh, Blagoy, who is ranked a little bit higher than higher than him. Um, but yeah, I mean. Interesting fight here. You know, again, Olenek needed to take him down to the ground and do what he does. Didn't get that opportunity. And now Spivak, welcome to the heavyweight rankings in the UFC. And then this main event, man. I remember when this got announced, I was jumping up for joy. I was super stoked about this bout. Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, though, not quite the style I had imagined, but he got the unanimous decision over Danny Gay. As a fight fan, I totally understand where the Korean Zombie is coming from, and I would want to do a lot of what he did in this fight, to be honest. But as a fight fan, that's not the fight I wanted to see. I wanted to see these two throw some bangers, go for it, as I've seen them do many a times in their career. I think the Korean Zombie, though, has realized that he can't just keep taking those major damage fights and getting into Slugfest at 34. Right, he's close. He's ranked number four. He didn't move up in the rankings after this fight. Stays at number four. He's close to contention. If you keep taking those, you know, you can only take so many hits. So you keep taking that damage. It's going to affect you, and you're not going to have a, a shot at the title. Um, now he's calling out Max, which I don't expect that to happen. Would still be a pretty interesting fight. Um, but he wanted to take Dan down and avoid his power and technical striking because Ige can, you know, he could throw. Um, and, and change it up, unlike the battles that he was in with some past fights with Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega, where he did take a lot of damage and got bested on the feet. I mean, debatable with the Yair fight. I don't know if he got bested. It was just pretty fucking even. They were exhausted, and he got that crazy spinning elbow that just cleaned his house. Um, Jung took Ige down three times and outstriked him 154 total strikes to 137. 
So from here, I would love to see the Korean Zombie versus Calvin Cater or Edson Parboza, who's now in the division and has looked excellent. Um, I know that the Korean Zombie doesn't want those fights, but he's at this point in his career, I think more of the gatekeeper, right? You've least recently lost to Yair. You've lost to Ortega. Holloway and Volkanovski are just at the next level. So I couldn't imagine Dana White and Sean Shelby wanting to put, you know, put him in that ring. More so, hey, what can he do against guys like Cater, who's looked promising, but, you know, came up against a wall in Holloway, or Edson Barboza, who's come into the division and, and really looked great as a vet in himself. You know, maybe the Holloway thing happens. If the Yair fight doesn't happen, I couldn't expect Holloway to want to do that. But Holloway don't give a fuck. He's trying to bang. He's trying to show what he could do. He's in his prime. So who knows? And then for Dan Ige, tough loss. He stays at number eight, though, doesn't drop in the rankings. And really, he could fight anyone in the rankings. You know, he's moved in. There's a lot of guys that he hasn't fought. And uh, I, I would love to see him stylistically against a lot of the guys in this division. I think Arnold Allen makes sense, though. Uh, that'll be an interesting one within this division. But hey, you know, you can't always expect a banger. And I, like I said, I don't blame the Korean Zombie. But as a fight fan, I really thought that was going to be a banger. And that's what I was uh, tuning in for. But hey, you live, you, you win some, you lose some. But that leads us into the fight night card this weekend uh, before a layoff on the 4th of July weekend. And then next uh, two Saturdays from this Saturday, we get the huge, huge UFC card, the Connor Dustin trilogy fight, which is wild that that's not a title fight for Dustin. You know, he said, fuck the title. I want my bag. I want to show Connor I'm the best man. And I can't wait. The day after my birthday, I'll be in Montana. Got to get the boys together. Got to get the fights going. So super stoked on that. Uh, but but this upcoming Saturday, I'm not going to dive into the whole card. I mean, if I really wanted to, I could dive into a lot of these fights as there's names that I've seen, right? We got Yancey Medeiros opening up the uh, prelims in the lightweight division against Demir Hadzovic, who I am not haven't heard of. But Yancey himself is uh, 15 and 7, right? He's, he's been fighting for a while. You know, it's worth watching. Charles Rosa's fighting Justin uh, Janes in the featherweight Seen Charles Rosa fight a few times. He's 13 and 5. Uh, also in the prelims, we have Julia Avila, who's a 15th ranked fighter in the Bantamweight division. She's fighting J Julija Stolarenko. Uh, I'm not too familiar with her, but hey, a ranked fighter going. Another guy that I've seen a few times, both of these guys actually. We have uh, Marcin Pracino versus Isaac Villanueva. Uh, that will be a good fight in the prelims that we're not diving into in the light heavyweight division. Um, and then we have in the welterweight division, uh, Shavkat Rakamanov, the nomad versus Michael Prezeres, uh, Shavs, Shavskat is 13 and 0. So an undefeated fighter, definitely worth keeping your eyes on, but we're going to start our dive with the headlining fight of the prelims. We have, um, actually, I don't think I did do this one. Hmm. I switched it up. Anyways, uh, we have Kennedy, the American Savage, uh, Nischekwu, who's eight and one and twenty nine years old, versus Danilo Marquez, who's eleven and two and thirty five years old. Kennedy has a massive six e six inch reach advantage in this fight. He is a contender series alum himself. He actually won his debut and got another chance, so he won his debut in um the ultimate fighter, but didn't get the contract. 
He got another chance a year later, got the contract, and now he has five win, five of his eight wins via knockout. And he's on a two-fight win streak after losing to a really high-quality vet in Paul Craig, who we just saw win uh, on the crazy submission. And then Danilo himself, who I'm not as familiar with, is fighting is on a four-fight win streak. He's got two of those uh, fights in the UFC, and four of his wins uh, of his eleven wins are via knockout as well. So I expect this to be a high-paced, heavy, you know, heavy bombs a flow fight um, with. Someone who has a little bit more experience, but's new to the UFC, trying to prove himself, and then Kennedy, who is a pretty young up-and-coming prospect, for for them to throw him in after the Contender Series to Paul Craig shows you the potential that they see in him, as he's a big body guy. He's just a character. I mean, you look at him; he's got he's got this massive hair. It's like a almost a flat top, but not really. So yeah, I mean, you you can't miss the guy. Going to be a fun fight. It's heading the prelims as it was on the main card, but because of some fight switches, they'd switch that up. And then on the main card, we have, whoops, we have Renato Moicano, who's 14-3-1 and 32 years old, versus Jai, the black country banger, Herbert, who's 10-2 and and 33 years old. Herbert himself is coming off a loss. He does have a five-inch reach advantage in this fight. And then Renato fights out of the very well-known ATT, American top, Top Team, He's a black belt in BJJ and has a Muay Thai background. He's coming off a loss and have lost three of his last four against the likes of Jose Aldo and the Korean Zombie. But he has beaten vets in the UFC like Jeremy Stevens, Cub Swanson, and Calvin Cater. And that's why I'm picking him in this fight. I'm going with Renato. This is more of a 50-50 toss-up fight, um, especially with Herbert having the, the reach advantage. But I think he's going to be able to do well mixing up the striking and trying to take him down for some ground game action and potentially see some of that Muay Thai background in the clinch game. So good fight in the main card, worthy of dissecting, and I'm excited. The next fight on the the main card we're not diving into. This was originally on the prelims. But we have Tim Means uh, facing off against Nicholas Dalby in the welterweight division. I've seen both of these guys fight. You know, it's a worthy fight, but I, I didn't feel like it's one that I really want to tune in and dive into. Um, but next we have Andre. His his nickname always cracks me up. Andre the touchy-feely uh, with a 21-8 and record and 30 years old versus Daniel the Pit Pineda, 27-13 and with a 30, or 27-13 and record at 35 years old. Andre, again, a reach advantage here. He has a 5-inch reach advantage. He does fight out of Team Alpha Male. And he's coming off a loss and two of losing two of his uh, three last three of his last fights. Pineda himself is an orthodox fighter and a black belt in BJJ. He's bounced from the UFC. He's gone to Bellator. He's gone to the PFL and then now back to the UFC. So this is a big moment for him. He is coming off a loss, but has won seven of his uh, seven of the last eight of his fights. And Andre Feely has fought better competition as he's been in the UFC for a longer tenure. So I'm going to go with him. Uh, I expect a close fight, but this will be very big for both fighters' careers as Feely is looking to move up in the rankings, entering his prime, and Pineda, who's had to go through all, you know, really had to go through the ringer with all these promotions, I'm sure wants to stick with the UFC and prove himself. So big, big fight for these guys and where they're at in their careers. But I'm going to go with Mr. Touchy Feely, Andre the Touchy Feely in this fight, and I'm going to put him in my parlay. Then the next fight in the bantamweight division, we have Rayoni Barcelos, who's 16-1 and 34 years old, versus Timur the Lucky Valiev, 
sporting a 17-2 record at 31 years old. Both good records, just a couple losses right in their prime. And Timmer himself has come from the World Series of Fighting in the PFL. He has a brown belt in BJJ, and he has won eight of his last nines, eight of his last nines fights, eight of his last nine fights. And I don't count the Jones fight as a no contest that he had because uh, he tested positive for marijuana, which is now legal in the UFC, should be legal everywhere. Just kind of a bullshit. I feel bad that he has to have that on his record. So technically, he's lost one fight, um, as well as uh, Barcelos. Barcelos has a, a wrestling background and black belt in BJJ. And he has won nine fights in a row, five of those being in the UFC. And he hasn't lost since 2014, so he's definitely on a roll. But this is going to be a fun, violent fight. A lot of these fights are so evenly matched on here. They're not massive names, but great uh, stylistic matchups. To, you know, a lot of guys that are pivoting in their career, which, hey, you know, they're a fight night card for a reason. They're not in the pay-per-views because they're not a big name. But they're guys that are in the UFC, they're trying to battle, and some of these fights could determine where these guys' careers goes and if they could stay in the UFC. This is going to be a fun, violent fight. I expect this to be a performance of the night fight. And then moving in, we got my guy coming in after really not fighting that long ago. Let's see when he fought. Tanner Bozer. He had to have fought literally just recently. Yeah, he fought against Ilir Latifi on June 5th. So he said, fuck that. I got two losses in a row. I'm an up-and-coming prospect in the UFC. Dana White, give me a fucking fight. And he said, all right, I'm going to give you a fight. So we got Tanner Bozer, Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer, sporting a 19-8-1 record at 29 years old versus Oliver St. Peru with a 25-14 and record and 38 years old. You know, OSP's been around the block, man. He's, you know, had a title fight against uh, John Jones. He he fought a long time in the light heavyweight division. And now as he gets older, moving up to the heavyweight division to try to make another run into contention. But Tanner, hey, two losses in a row, just fought another vet. Tough loss for him. And a lot of it's been on the ground, his past two losses. Needs to, to change the pace. So let's talk specifics. Bozer has a four and a half inch reach advantage. A lot of reach advantages in this fight or in this card. He's a black belt in Shido Ryu Karate, a purple belt in BJJ. And as I mentioned, he has lost two in a row, but needs this win and needs to welcome OSP into the heavyweight division the right way. OSP is a brown belt in BJJ. He's a strike force vet back in those days who has come from the light heavyweight division. He has lost two of his past three as well. And I'm not sure, you know, what would happen to OSP here with a loss. Um, this is a big fight for him coming, you know, into the heavyweight division, trying to make some damage. And Tanner coming off two of uh, two losses in a row, trying to prove himself, trying to continue to move up in the rankings and contention. Because you lose three or four, you never know what the UFC is going to do with you. So again, another pivotal matchup. I expect this one to be a blast of a fight. Um, this is almost as fun as any other fight in the you know, on the card, in my opinion. And I'm going to go with Bozer because I think he's hungry. He took this on short notice and he's ready to fucking bang. And then we have the headline fight. Much like the last fight, uh, Korean zombie, Dan Ige, the headliner. I'm super excited about this headliner and was super excited when it was announced, but hopefully it performs to the expectation this time. We got a guy that I've seen. We got Searle Bongaman Gane, who has an 8-0 record. He's 31 and spots 
and rocks the number three next to his name. Ever since I've seen this guy fight and he trains with Francis, I knew that he would have a chance to get into title contention. I didn't think he would move up the rankings this fast, though. And he's fighting a badass motherfucker. He's fighting Alexander Drago Volkov, who has a 33-8 record. He's 32 years old, so both of these guys just entering their prime in the heavyweight division and rocks the number five next to his name. Well, he's got a Muay Thai and kickboxing background, Cyril Gane does. He has ran through everyone in the UFC this far. And Volkov himself is coming off a two-fight win streak after losing to Curtis Blades. He has a brown belt in BJJ and a brown belt in Kyoshin uh, Karate. Volkov has fought a lot of elite fighters in this division. But Gane is different. I'm telling you, this man's built different. The speed, the precision, the head movement, the unorthodox fighting style uh, with the kickboxing and Muay Thai. It's going to be a different beast than what Mr. Volkov has seen. And that's the reason Vegas has Gane as a favorite and why I'm picking Gane. But this is definitely one of, you know, the toughest fight, in my opinion, of Searle's career. As Volkov is very well-rounded. He could do well defending takedowns. He could do well on the ground. He does great in striking. He could put you, put you in the clinch. And he is a long fighter. So this is going to be fun. I expect this to go a little bit all over. Most likely be a decision, but a fun decision for the heavyweight division. And I'll be tuning in. And uh, yeah, I mean, Searle from here, he beats Volkov. He's going to be right there in title contention, depending on what happens with John Jones. Um, but him training with Francis also is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But again, after this, we got July 10th, the Dustin Tr Connor trilogy. The Sugar Show's back in town. We got Wonder Boy back in town battling Gilbert Burns. Lots of badass action on International Fight Week, as there always is. But let's chat it up in the NBA as we are on the hills and entering the conference finals this week in NBA action. So some headlines across the league. James Jones, the old the Heat vet, getting executive of the year for the Phoenix Suns. Awesome that he earned that reward. I think that's very well deserved. And then LaMelo Ball got Rookie of the Year honors. You know, there was debate between him and Anthony Edwards because LaMelo Ball was hurt. I just knew they were going to give it to Ball. You know, was Edwards not, you know, worthy of it? I think he was, but he came on later where LaMelo kind of hit the ground running all year long. Uh, we had the NBA uh, draft lottery right on the hills of the NBA draft in six days on July 29th. The Pistons got the number one overall, so no sketchiness happening with the number one overall and the stupid lottery that they still do. The Rockets get the second pick, Cavs three, Raptors four, Magic five, Thunder six, Warriors seven, Magic again at eight because of the trade with Vucevic to the Bulls, so they get two top ten picks. The Kings and Pelicans round out the top ten. I've already done a little bit of an NBA mock draft uh you know, preview and in, uh, in my opinion on what the experts are giving on mock drafts. I'll do another one potentially next week before the draft. Actually, probably not. I'll just talk about the draft. But if you're interested in seeing the type of quality candidates and dissecting some of the players, because I watch a ton of college basketball, uh, go in and check my episode. I, I, I label it mock drafts. I, I talk about the NFL and NBA. Um, but lots of good talent this year's draft. We got some people from the, the G League. We got some high-level people from NCAA. So it's going to be interesting. And a team like the Magic's definitely going to need some high-level picks. We also had Bam, KD, Harden, Draymond, Bradley Bill, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, and Zach Levine all joining Team USA. 
I believe Drew Holiday is also in there. Um, for the Tokyo Olympics, some other stars have backed out. Chris Paul is not going to play as a vet, you know, nursing some injuries coming off his run right now. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, again, coming off the ankle, tough loss, trying to get the Utah Jazz into contention, trying to get those Jazz out there. Uh, but hey, good squad building up. Going to be a lot of fun. I love watching some Olympic USA basketball. You put USA on it, I'm rooting for it. I don't care if we're talking diving, we're talking pole vault. Give me that action. USA go, USA go. We also had some big moves in the coaching world as the Pelicans fire Stan Van Gundy. You know, there's lots of rumors of this happening. The players, he lost the locker room. It's been iffy. Zion Williamson potentially wants out. Just kind of a mess in New Orleans. And now they're a team that potentially could be up to sell, which if you're a Seattle fan, I live here in Seattle, there's lots of basketball fans that have been praying for a team. If Zion stayed there, came to Seattle, what a world of fun that would be for the new Climate Pledge Arena and the Seattle sports fans. We had Carlisle leaving the Mavs. You know, there was some tension with him and Luka. Obviously, Luka being the next face of the NBA. Um, what he says goes, from my assumption, is they're looking to rebound from an early playoff exit, even though they are a very young team. We had Scott Brooks fired from the Wizards. No surprise there, as he really hasn't turned that team around in his tenure there. And um, the Celtics just hired this morning Nets assistant Ime Udoka as a head coach. Probably the most appealing head coach job available. So they already filled the role. And now we have all these other uh, uh, jobs that are open. And we also had Kemba Walker traded to the Thunder. Al Horford coming back to the Celtics trying to fix their uh, centers and, and their lineup and rotation. And it's interesting to see how Kemba will do next to Shigus Alexander, who's really taken off this year. It'll honestly just be interesting to see if Kemba stays there or if he gets traded again. Sucks to, you know, for Kemba, he was injured. He never got to really put up his time in the, the, in Boston. But hey, you know, there's a reason that Boston is starting things over, getting some new hires, because obviously the super team that they were looking to build wasn't working out. Best of luck and best wishes to Kemba, as I love watching him play. He's a hooper. Hopefully he gets more chances, whether it's Oklahoma or somewhere else. Let's talk Bucks Nets. We talked all the way up through game four last week. Then we have game five. This is a pivotal game five. You know, I honestly expected the Nets to win from here on out, but I did not expect this. Jeff Green, right? Jeff Green, a vet. He is known for playing in Boston. He's known for, you know, being a vet that's been around. He played for the Jazz, didn't work out in their, their team. And I figured, you know, if he can't work out with the Jazz, he's probably going to, you know, fall out of the league. Well, here he is with Brooklyn. Who would have thought he would be a difference for any club in this year's playoff at 34 years old? He had 27 points off the bench, shooting 7 for 8 from 3, which blows my mind. 7 for 8, that's crazy. And then he also played defense on Giannis um, at the end of the game, and Giannis missed a game-tying free throw. Giannis wasn't getting a lot of shots as Harden was defending him. How that happens blows my mind. And it was just weird that he wasn't able to take the game over. Um, and, you know, the, the game-winning shot was a fadeaway on James Harden. Take that man to the hole. You're the Greek freak, right? So, yeah, interesting. Giannis was 34 for 12 on 22 shots. Uh, and he also shot 2 for 4 from 3. So shooting the ball uh, very well. Even getting some 3-point action on there. 
And this is what confuses me. We'll talk about Ben Simmons in a minute. If this man could shoot decent, get his free throws figured out decently, and shoot two for four from three, you can too. But he's not. So there's a miss. Something doesn't add up in my book. But this game is all KD as he went nuclear for 49 points, 17 rebounds, and 10 assists on 23 shots. That's superstar shit, right? Like I said, he went nuclear. He took over the game. Easy money sniper. Game five goes to Brooklyn. So then we go to game six. The Bucks dominate the Nets uh, game six behind Chris Middleton and Giannis, their, their dynamic duo. Middleton puts up 38 and 10 on 16 shots. To be honest, this is the best game from Middleton I've even seen. Um, you know, even though Brooklyn doesn't play defense, this is the most crisp I've seen Middleton, the most decisive I've seen in his decision making and shots. And also, not only is it a random game, it's game six to force a game seven. So, yeah, this was a big deal. He was playing defense as well. So, great on both sides of the ball. Bravo, Mr. Middleton. Bravo. And then Giannis has 30 and 17 on 20 shots. Another nice, efficient game. KD, not so efficient. It's hard to do nuclear efforts back-to-back. Usually the team will change up the scheme. And Brooklyn has, you know, things to offer on the defensive side of the ball. KD had 32 points on 30 shots, but he didn't get much help. Harden played 40 minutes and had 16 points. He clearly wasn't himself getting forced back into the lineup. You know, a couple games now, but obviously not 100%, as he would probably in a game six uh, closing out opportunity would be putting up massive points. And he just, you know, wasn't being aggressive, wasn't shooting the three. So obviously wasn't the same. But every, every fan wants this. We got game seven in Brooklyn, and I'm all about it. I put money down on KD over 30, Nets by a point and a half. And if you watch that game, man, I have no fingernails left. That shit was wild. Um, KD put the team on his back and forced overtime, but the Nets tired out. They got sloppy, right? You saw Harden with open shots to, to avoid OT and OT to win the game, and it just didn't happen. Giannis had 40 40 points on 24 shots, so a great game from Giannis. KD put up 48-9-6 on 36 shots, so still great game from him. You know, outside of that, though, it was really just the main players. The Nets had zero points off the bench, and then the Bucks had nine. It was really a superstar showdown, which you expect from a game seven. I just didn't expect this outcome. Obviously, if Kyrie was there, Harden was, you know, more efficient and healthy, I think things would be a lot different. Harden did have 22 points, but two from for t- two of 12 from three. All right, that shit busted me. That blew my money. I'm probably done betting on the playoffs. This shit been beating me up. Uh, but he missed a huge shot in overtime. Before overtime, that was a story for me. Obviously, Harden's not himself. But hey, I want as a sports fan, I want the Bucks to win. I just didn't think they could. And before the season, I had talked about. Or early in this podcast when I started this year, I had talked about what a difference it makes for a big three to win in their first year and how that's never get it never gets done. And obviously a lot of it was due to injuries, but hey, the big three, they're out. Bucks in. So let's talk about the number one team on the East. We got Hawks, we got Sixers. Again, game five. We talked one through four last week. Well, the 76ers blow game five. I mean, blow game five, which is in 
uh, Philly. The Hawks are purposely fouling Ben Simmons down the line. He goes four for 14 from the free throw line. This is supposed to be a face of your franchise and a superstar. And he shoots four of 14 from the charity stripe as a point guard. What in the actual F? The Hawks steal the game on the road, though, and Ice Trey goes for 39 points. Joel does put up 37 points and 13 rebounds, while Seth Curry has 36 points and 7 assists. He went 7 of 12 from 3. So where Simmons would lack, Seth Curry tried to put up, but it wasn't enough. The Hawks have others step up. Tobias Harris only has 4 points on 11 shots, and Ben Simmons has 8 points and 4 of those coming from the free throw. All I can say is, wow, right? Did not expect this coming. I thought the Sixers would close out this series as well. You know, Joel still putting up points. Clearly isn't healthy. You know, Tobias, who's been such a steady player in the rotation, only putting up four points. Yeah, game five is a shocker for sure. So I just had a feeling, because I at this point I had left Utah. We'll get talk about that in a second. Utah lost. And I just had a feeling as the Jazz is the number one seed and the Sixers is the one seed, they'd find a way. Well, do they? Game six, the 76ers D shows up on the road, even though their offensive offense doesn't. Much like the Bucks, they could live through their defense in some games, though they don't always have to rely on the offense. Seth, Joel, and Tobias all chip in over 20 points, no massive nights. Simmons has six points on six shots. How in the hell, in an elimination game, Ben Simmons is shooting six shots and only getting six points, and none of this, it's just like, what? It's like the aliens meme. Like, what? What the fuck? Uh, but the story for me in this game is Tyrese Maxey, the rookie point guard coming off the bench, getting 16 points, seven assists, but getting closing time minutes. We're talking crunch time in an elimination game as Ben sits on the bench. They don't want to deal with him, you know, basically doing the hack-a-shack to Ben Simmons. But young, Trey Young still performs 34 points, 12 assists. This man is just really showing people he's a superstar. But he doesn't get a lot of help from his other guys. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. No, not Bogdan. Yeah, Bogdan Bogdanovich goes for 7 points on 11 shots. So not a very uh, efficient night from the shooters and the Hawks as they drop this one. But Philly's defense and Tyrese Maxey's the story for game six. Now we got game seven, another game seven. I want all the game sevens. That's what I said. Well, game seven looks a lot like five and six. The 76ers can't buy a bucket late. Tobias has 24. Joel had 31 and 11. And then Simmons has five points on four shots. If an elimination game six wasn't enough, four shots in game seven. If I'm a Philly fan, I'm Oh, man, I don't even know what I do. That's like you're telling me Mike Conley, healthy, gets four shots in Game 7. Donovan Mitchell, four. Ben Simmons won Rookie of the Year over Donovan Mitchell, and that still pisses me off because he wasn't technically a rookie. Like, this guy was supposed to be arms and legs better than Tatum and and Mitchell. Four shots in Game 7? He was passing up open layups. He just looked afraid out there. It wasn't himself. Five Hawks in double digits, though. Kevin Herter, Game 7, leads all scorers. I'm sure someone knew that. or If someone put a prop bet on that, they're banking. 27 points, 7 rebounds. And, you know, there's... It's funny because when the playoffs started, 
I talked to you guys about Ben Simmons. I posted on Twitter. He's not a superstar. I got lots of backlash. You can see Philly fans like, Shane, this guy don't even know what he's talking about. Did they know I have a podcast? Probably not. He's like, dude, you guys are fucking psychotic. If you think I don't know what I'm talking about, now the whole world since the playoffs has started is talking about how inefficient Ben Simmons is. Now they're saying they need to trade him. The thing that cracked me up, though, was on TNT, because it was a TNT game. Uh, after the game, Shaq said he would have went to the locker room and knocked out Ben Simmons. Knocked him on his ass. I thought that's hilarious. If I was a teammate, too, I mean, there's got to be friction there. If we're all thinking it, the locker room's thinking it as well. Um, there's also talk now that, you know, potentially they might switch uh, Ben Simmons' predominant hand to his left. Uh, but, hey, 76ers lose Game 7 at home. On a night where Trey Young missed 18 of his 23 shots. <sighs> yeah, I couldn't imagine being in Philly that night. I'm also going to talk, um, bring up this IG post that I saw. This is from Buckets Avenue. Not a major big page on Instagram. A page I've given some love to. They've, they've been giving some business and Buckets some love. And this sums it up perfectly. This was, when was this? Last Thursday. So probably, yeah, game five. They said Ben Simmons not shooting the ball and being such a horrible floor spacer as a guard caps out the ceiling for any contender, which is why you're seeing the Sixers once again struggle in the playoffs. The bad in Simmons simply completely overweighs the good. I am 100% on that ship. I wanted to do a screen recording, which... If you you business of buckets fans loving the the show, you're tuning in. You don't need it. The screen recordings ain't for you. You got to tune in every week. You get this action. But everybody else, as I'm growing the pod, they want to see the trailers, see what it's about. You know, get the teasers, do the marketing and the appeal. I'll start doing screen records. This is going to be my first one talking about Ben Simmons. But then he continually performed at such shit level, and now everyone in the whole fucking world's talking about how shitty Ben Simmons is. So it doesn't make me look as cool. But I will start doing some screen recordings to be able to spread the word. I'm going to start marketing the pod. Just slowly going, right? Doing this shit the right way, building it up, getting the production for everybody, and we'll keep pumping this out. <sighs> you know, the, the worst part of being such a diehard sports fan and running your own podcast is now you got to talk about shit like this. Jazz Clippers. And I went all the way to Salt Lake City for Game 5, so let's dive in. All right, so game five. Before we talk about the game, I'll dive in and talk to you guys a little bit about my Salt Lake experience. I flew in that Wednesday morning for game five. What a sweet arena Vivid uh, Arena is. The crowd dynamic. You could tell that there's loyal, really good jazz fans there. You know, I went by myself. I went from, you know, bar to bar, just kind of cruising. There was no masks mandates and you could go up the bars are open actually go up to a bar and have a conversation which was a nice change of pace and uh i could just tell having you know i'm wearing my jazz swag everywhere so clearly people are like here for the game you're watching the game and they would just talk to me about some history talk to me about today's players comparisons and you know where we stand in the pecking order and it's just really cool to be a part of a franchise that does have such loyal teams you know going to the game i had good seats I had bought them early before game five was even, or before the series even started, the second round series. And it was really cool because, 
you know, obviously Dwayne Wade was there with Ryan Smith at courtside. They got to, we all got to wear the, the t-shirts to match and just the energy, the excitement was there, but obviously the performances didn't quite match up to that. And yeah, I was definitely bummed after the game, but Salt Lake's a cool place. Highly recommend checking it out. It was nice for a quick week trip is, you know, Salt Lake's nothing crazy, but there's lots of stuff to do outdoors and I didn't have a rental car to go do, do a lot of those things. Nice dry heat. It was like 98 degrees. Which honestly wasn't that bad because it's the dry heat. It's not all humid and, and things of that nature. But let's talk game five. So, um, yeah, I was feeling good first half. Um, obviously, Mitchell and his ankle weren't healthy, and I knew that going in. But this game probably looked worse than any game, the game that I was at. Mike Conley still didn't suit up, which was pretty brutal. Uh, Kawhi Leonard had been announced out. Or no, Kawhi, yeah, Kawhi Leonard announced out after the fourth game. So I, I didn't get to see Kawhi, I didn't get to see Conley, and in my opinion, saw half of Mitchell. But this guy stepped up. We had Bogey, Bojan Bogdanovich, playoff record six threes in the first quarter. But then the second half happened. He only hit three of his next seven. So that was tough. Um, he did lead the Jazz with 32 points, as, again, Mitchell was nursing his ankle, and you could tell was trying to give everyone else some shots. The Jazz, which is one of the top teams, you know, what what made me really believe this year is we were a top team offensively and defensively. Most of the storylines is, you know, Kawhi's out, their superstars out, the Jazz should win, or, you know, no pity to the Jazz, but we were without our superstar and Mike Conley this whole time as well. And clearly Mitchell being 50%, that's very tough. So I feel like we didn't get a, enough respect. But um, being a top defensive team, I really expected to see some defense this series and in this game, and there was none uh, at home. You know, pivotal game five, it's a 2-2 series. You go up 3-2, you gotta, all you got to do is keep winning at home, and it, it really didn't happen. Um, Gobert wasn't a focus offensively, even though they went to the small ball lined up with Morris. When he did have opportunities down low, he captured when he had offensive glass points, he put them back in. You know, obviously Gobert needs to work on some post moves or something, but doesn't mean we can't try to give him the ball down low. And then one of my favorite players, Royce O'Neal, two for eight from three. It was just laughed at by the Clippers. They, they they dared him to shoot. He had open shots. He didn't shoot. And it was shots that the Jazz needed this game. Uh, playoff P showed up. He had 37 points and 16 rebounds on 22 shots. Really good game. Um, we'll talk about what happens, Suns and Clippers, but... The way he's performing without Kawhi in pivotal moments, I just, you can't call him pandemic Paul no more. No more making fun of Paul George. You know, he's doing his best. He's performing. He has great seasons and he's performing better in the playoffs now without Kawhi than he ever has, in my opinion. And then when it came to the Clippers, Morris and Reggie Jackson both had over 20 points. So yeah, I was pissed. It was a bummer. Uh, not a very good performance. You know, shot the lights out well, but no defense, no no aggression, right? The, the the Clippers just bullied the Jazz, and that happening at home as a fan that flew all the way out there, uh, yeah, I was pretty pissed. So then game six, you know, Vegas had the Jazz as the favorite, which I was shocked at. Uh, Conley and Mitchell were both game-time decisions. They ended up playing, uh, but clearly Conley was a decoy. Um, Terrence Mann, though, <laughs> that's all you got to say about game six. Uh, he popped off 39 points, seven for 10 from three and much respect to Terrence, man. I love seeing guys like this, you know, the maxis. I'm always finding the guys that make a move because in the playoffs, that usually happens with somebody on somebody on one team, at least in a series. 
But you would think the way our defense is played, you know, this is what I still don't know. And the media just assumptively blames Gobert. Oh, defensive player of the year. He didn't do it. He can't get out to the three. But when you're playing with two of your better defenders, Conley and Mitchell, who aren't healthy, you know, are we wanting them to play defense or just offense? Are they not playing defense? And we obviously were put in a zone where Gobert has to defend from one corner of the three to the other and all the action in the middle. Nobody can do that, no matter how good you are, how tall your wingspan is. So they shot the same corner, which was my side, uh, the, the same corner, which is the, the fan side of the cameras, the, the nearest side of the gym. They just kept shooting threes from there. Rondo was hitting threes. Obviously, Terrence Mann was hitting threes. Morris was hitting threes. And we didn't change it up the whole second half. We just stuck with it. So in my opinion, Quinn Snyder is not that dumb to not change it up, but it's like, okay, cool. The guys that we would put over there, Donovan and Mitchell or Donovan and Conley aren't healthy. So damned if you do, damned if you don't. It was just frustrating to see, you know, they, I, they had to have scored 50 fucking points in that one spot. Um, Paul George and Reggie Jackson both had over 20 points. You know, Hey, props to Mitchell doing what he could do in an elimination game on the road, just shy of a 40 point triple double. He had 39, nine and nine. So again, it's like, Hey, I could perform offensively, but I need help defensively. And we just didn't have it. Um, we'll talk about what the jazz need after this, but yeah, tough. Uh, I would love to uh, had a game seven. I almost extended my stay. I flew back home on Friday for the weekend here, but I was thinking about extending hoping of a game seven. Glad I didn't glad I didn't. And as a jazz fan, everyone's like, man, that's gotta, that's really gotta hurt being the one seed. But as a jazz fan my whole life, we've never, you know, we've been close, but never get through the the, the the hurdle. And as long as they extend Mike Conley, I think next year is the best chance anyways. But everyone's going to be better next year. So, yeah, we'll see. But let's talk Suns clips. Now we got the finals. We got Suns. We got Clippers. Suns have been chilling on the bench. Clippers barely battling their way through. We got Bucks. We got Hawks. Both coming off game sevens. That's what playoff basketball is all about. So in game one with the Suns, it was back and forth, right? The Clippers are tired out from playing Game Seven two days before. Obviously, no Kawhi. CP3 still not playing. Um, according to timelines today, he's expected to play tomorrow in Game Three. Um, but six Suns had double digits in Game One. But it was all about Devin Booker. He did get a forty-point triple-double. He had forty, thirteen, and eleven. Reggie Jackson had twenty-four, and PG thirteen put up thirty-four. Again, cut the play- pandemic Paul off, cut the playoff P bullshit out. I, I, I think he's earned our respect. Um, Cousins and Rondo got big minutes, which they're not usually in the rotation um, and weren't in the crunch time part of the jazz. So obviously showing that they need rest, they need to deeper their rotation coming off, you know, a tough series and not getting a lot of rest while the Suns have been chilling. Um, in this series, though, I'm going Suns and six. That's before game one and two even happen especially with the uncertainty of what's going on with players. And I did expect Chris Paul to make it back before, you know, game three anyways. Um, I don't expect Kawhi to play. And again, I expected CP3 to be here for game three, and that's potentially the rumor anyways. Uh, but Suns still game one at home. They don't steal it. You know, they're expected to win. They won. So let's talk game two. Well, Marcus Morris was a game time decision. He ended up suiting up, but they switched the starting lineup. They put Zubak back into the starting lineup. They put Pat Bev in the starting lineup. And it was just a sloppy defensive game that really came down to the wire. Cameron Payne, of all players, led everyone in scoring with 27 points. 
to me, if anything, that just shows how much CP3 has done to the team, what he's provided to that young man and brought to the Suns. Uh, he's more of a coach. He's all about culture. And, you know, Cameron Payne was a nobody. Uh, a lot of the guys and guards that he's worked with have really turned their careers around working with CP3. I'm sure he'll have a front office or coaching role in the future if he wants. Um, Booker only puts up 20. PG uh, 13 has 26. You know, both are clutched down the stretch. Each team needs a basket. It's in Paul George's hands. It's in Devin Booker's hands, as expected. But things get crazy. There was a controversial replay overturn at the end of the game. Um, they called it off Booker, so Clippers got the ball. Pat Bev, you know, was like, hey, replay it. In my opinion, it's a tough call to make for the game because he was dribbling. Pat Bev slapped it out. That's why it went out of bounds, but it technically was still in Booker's fingertips. So that was controversial. So the game's interesting. Looked like it was over, but it's not. Paul George then, to go up, misses two free throws with 7.8 seconds left. Two free throws. So all this me defending Paul George shit, he misses two free throws, which I don't think we could just call him Pandemic Paul again, but really tough break, and he knew it. So with 0.8 seconds left, Jay Crowder inbounds the pass. They have Boogie Cousins, big body out, defending him on the, the baseline. Throw a lob pass up to eight, and he dunks it in. They get the game win, but they win by one point, which even if PG would have made one free throw, they would have been forced overtime. Tough break for the Clippers. They obviously get to go home. I believe it's full crowds again, so they don't have to inject it with stadium noise and cutouts. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, um, no, I, I don't expect Kawhi to come in. I do expect the Clippers to at least win a game or two, but... A win in Phoenix would have really changed things, and losing like that is is really tough on everybody, because uh, it's hard for those guys to get out of their head to just you know wake up the next day and forget that happened. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go still Suns with six, but um, it's gonna be fun. That was a wild game. I enjoyed that game. And then today we got game one: Bucks versus Hawks. I think the Hawks, if they could continually shoot at a high clip and shoot the lights out, they could steal a game or two with all their shooters. But nobody is going to be able to stop the Greek Freak on their defense. I'm going with the Bucks as six as well, as I don't see the Hawks being able to match up defensively on Giannis and Middleton. And Drew, ideally, if he shadows Trey in crunch time or through most of the game, has good enough defense to bother Ice Trey. So you slow down Ice Trey a little bit. How do you slow down Milwaukee? Milwaukee has defense. Atlanta really doesn't. And Atlanta needs to continually shoot at a high clip. So that's why I'm taking the Bucks, but I will give the Hawks some respect. I do think they do steal some games, as the Bucks' offense is always streaky. But this is going to be a fun Eastern Conference battle. You know, if I were to guess, I would go Bucks winning the championship. You know, Giannis, this is his chance. He stayed with Milwaukee. If they don't do it this year, I just don't think they'll do it. And I wanted to pick the Bucks besides the Nets. Uh, if I didn't pick the Nets, I would have picked the Bucks. But I thought the Nets would be healthy and nobody could stop them. So here we are. But where do the losers go from here? How about my Jazz? Again, the first and only priority, in my opinion, is keeping Conley. I also think they let George Niang go, who I like. But they need to add a 3 and D athletic wing. They need to have an athletic guard that could play perimeter defense in the rotation so Donovan and Conley aren't forced to play You know, both sides of the ball. Come, This is all... It, no one gives a fuck about the regular season. They've already shown they could get the one seed. But we're talking about playoffs and the way teams match up on them. Maybe a small ball center would be great. 
uh, for the teams that are trying to match up smaller on them, like the Clippers did, and spread them out. Because uh, you put Favors in, he gets lost with that small ball defense. I love Favors, but it's it's tough. And then Mitchell isn't playing in Tokyo to rest up in Hill in the offseason. This loss seems to be a big issue for him. You know, down or up 2-0, which they're supposed to be. Not that big of a deal. Up 3-1 the year before. I expect Don to raise his level of play even more so next year. And I think he's a cer- certified superstar now. And he's going to keep improving, right? He's only 24 years old. I think Rudy needs to work on his post game. He's got to have strong hands when he gets those balls from Donovan and Conley to be able to make some post plays. You're big, tall. If they're going to small ball lineup, let's give you the ball and let's fucking dunk on them all day long, which he could get the lob passes. Once he has the ball, he could finish, but he's got to be able to get a couple decent post moves. If I'm him all fucking summer, I'm thickening and I'm building. And he's been doing that his whole career. If you remember the Stifle Tower when he started, he was about this thick. He was fucking tiny. So let's keep going, Rudy. Three-time Defensive Player of the Year. Let's put some post game in and make a difference. Outside of that, you know, Bogdanovich, he had wrist surgery. I'd assume his wrist will get better. His shot will, you know, not hurt when he's shooting. Supposedly it hurts when he shoots. I expect him to be better next season, have more confidence with the chemistry of the lineup. Ideally, through the regular season, Mitchell and Conley don't get hurt again, so they do build that chemistry, and he keeps his confidence going. That's going to be the best Jazz team that we could see. Now to the Sixers. It's a little bit more dramatic. You know, it's all about Ben Simmons. Rivers, Doc Rivers says they have a plan for him, and everyone is calling for a trade. I don't think they trade him as they sign him, and they have their core built together. They just need to work on a shooting. If Giannis can improve his shooting, a fucking guard can as well. You know, and I'm not saying Simmons isn't working on a shooting, but he ain't shooting, and when he shoots, he ain't making baskets. So I would assume he's not really working on a shooting. Um, they do need to replace some of their positions, you know, like the Danny Greens, um, some of their rotational, deeper rotational players. I think Maxi looks like a good promising piece that could come off the bench for them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's all going to start with Ben Simmons and see what they do. If they do trade him, they're not going to get a lot in return, in my opinion. So I don't think it's worth trading him. They just got to figure something out. Like I said, they're thinking about even making his left hand his predominant shooting hand. So yeah, if I'm Ben, I'm working today and figuring this shit out. Or yeah, your days are limited in the NBA. It is what it is. If you can't shoot, it's a shooting game now. You know, you're fucked. And then the Nets. The Big Three's first year, they never win. Uh, this Big Three's first year, they don't win. You know, a lot of it was due to injuries to their stars. And they're going to be a force next year for sure. Uh, but they'll actually get time together, right? They had only played such a few games together as a big three. They get some chemistry, get an offseason, focus on things, determine their roles. Um, Spencer Didwitty's going to be back next year. Uh, he's just expected to turn down his extending offer, though. He's a big piece if they resign him. He could be a six-man. I love me some Spencer Dinwiddie. Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, and Blake Griffin are all free agents. All three had way better than expected seasons. Is that repeatable? Unsure. Do you sign the older Jeff Green and the beat-up knee Blake Griffin? Unsure. So they're going to have to figure out the rotation. This is the team, though, that you expect to get vet minimums and those people in our one-year contracts to go and win a championship anyway. So I'm sure they'll figure it out. They got Steve Nash running the team. But hey, we're in there, baby. Game one in the East tonight. We got... Suns Clippers, Suns up 2-0 as expected at home. Crazy game two. I'm excited to get this shit going and um, see who will play in this year's NBA Finals. Let's talk some baseball. 
the heat is warming up, and so are some players, and the bombs are becoming more common. Mr. Otani saying he's going to join the Home Run Derby, and today also announced uh, Pete Alonso is going to defend his title and throne as well. Mr. Otani got AL Player of the Week, and listen to this the numbers. He's got to be the frontrunner MVP in my opinion. Six games, six home runs, 318 average, 1.136 OPS, 296 WRC+, one stolen base. He got a win while pitching, six innings, one earned, 5Ks, one walk, 0.7 total war in the week. This shit hasn't been done in 100 years, and not only is he doing it, but he's doing it well. I'm having a blast. The Angels are barely at 500. They're not looking that good. Pitching blows, but we got Otani. That's my that's my storyline and faith in baseball. Cody Bellinger and Max Muncy's back for the Dodgers as they get and return to full health and cl- climb up their rankings in their division. Uh, Braves, Max Fried is on the IL with blisters. Tough loss for the Braves. Joey Votto got suspended a game for a big outburst. Nothing too crazy there. It is what it is. He's a vet. Say what you want. The Mets battling injuries to the rotation as Joey Lucchesi is getting Tommy John. Marcus Stroman's day-to-day with a hip injury. MRI came back clean, though, so we do expect him back sooner than later. Uh, the Red, uh, Indians missing a big-time player. Aaron Savale, who's the Leeds winner in the AL, is going to miss some time with a finger injury, and they're right there on the AL Central. And then Wander Franco called up. Home run, see you later. Second at-bat in his MLB appearance. I'm sure the Rays are excited as this guy is going to be talked about. One of the most buzzworthy prospects in a long time and this season for sure. Looking at the standings, nothing too crazy since last week. You know, the Red Sox and Rays are battling it out. The Rays are ahead uh, half a game now. The Astros still the AL West lead from the Athletics. The Cubs are a half a game ahead of the Brewers in the NL Central. And the Giants stay ahead of the NL West, ahead of the Dodgers by two games. Before we talk about last weekend's matchups and this upcoming weekend series, I wanted to break down the old Chicago Cubs. This team's had a great season. They've been performing well. And this was a team that I projected high, if you remember my preseason rankings. But it was hard because they're one of those teams that have had like the same core. It reminds me of the Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons in football. It's a team that'll go 4-12 and or 12-14 and with damn near the same core. And it's just like... It's just, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the promising offensive core has been the difference. And this is a lot of the same core that won the World Series. We have Wilson Contreras, their catcher, who I really wanted the Angels to try and trade for. It doesn't mean they didn't. He's hitting only 233, which isn't terrible this year, but has 11 homers and a 748 OPS. Anthony Rizzo is hitting 252 with a 790 OPS and 31 ribbies. And then the leader of the team, Chris Bryant, battling a nice 278 with 14 homers and 40 RBIs and an 887 OPS, which is 23rd in Major League. Javi Baez hitting 226. You know, he had a down year last year. Average isn't that high this year. But he does have 16 homers and 45 RBIs, so the power's back. And then newly acquired Jock Peterson has gotten warm as the weather's turned warmer. He's hitting 241 with 11 homers and 30 RBIs. And then on the other end of the spectrum, a couple big disappointments. Ian Happ, 
batting 183 with eight homers. The once very promising prospect, Jason Hayward, hitting 173 with five homers. You get those two turned around, this team could be deadly offensively. And then the rotation has been solid for an NL rotation. They got Zach Davies, Kyle Hendricks, Jake Arrieta, the young prospect Albert Alzole, and Trevor Williams, who's on the IL. Hendricks is the leader, rocking with a 9-4 record, a 4-1-3 ERA, and 65 Ks. And the bullpen has been serviceable this year. But how about Craig Kimbrell? Back to being an elite closer. Second in the MLB with saves at 20. And he's sporting a rock-solid .61 ERA. The Cubbies there. They have six guys on IL right now, but consistent overall. They are 4-6 and six in their last 10, but they stand ahead of the NL Central and are back to winning baseball. You get healthy. You get Trevor Williams back. Maybe Hayward and Hap improve a little bit. This team's going to be fun to watch. How to break down the Cubbies. They've been getting my respect. Each week I see them in the standings. I'm like, oh, shit, the Cubs might be back. So last weekend's matchups, we had the Yankees. Huge series taken from the A's. They win 2-1. to one. Big for me as an Angel fan, too. Uh, the Braves beat the Cardinals 2-1 to one in a series. Big NL uh, series there. The Royals beat the Red Sox to get back on track, and that's why the Rays were able to take the division 2-1. The Astros get a four-game sweep of the injured White Sox. The Padres also four-game sweep the Reds, who are right above 500. And then the Giants beat the Phillies 2-1 to to stay ahead of the NL Central, which spurs up this weekend. We got the Angels and MVP frontrunner Shohei Otani taking on the Rays. He's actually pitching right now. I got to go and watch that game. Um, the Mets and Phillies have a four-game weekend series with a doubleheader on Friday. Big divisional battle. I've been talking about this division all season and won't stop. The Mets got the lead, but they're battling some injuries. Will be a big time. I believe the Phillies are second in the division. The Braves, or excuse me. Yeah, the Braves take on the Reds this weekend. We got a big rivalry matchup as the Red Sox take on the Yankees this weekend. We have the Athletics taking on the Giants. A little ALNL Battle of California action. And then the Cubs take on the Dodgers for the Sunday night baseball series in a big NL battle, and we'll see if them Cubbies are the real deal. But closing out, we got the NHL action happening as well. We got Tampa Bay. We got New York. Game one happened last week's pod. But in game two, right, the defending champions with a little easy win and headed by their superstar, Braden Point, as he scored his 10th playoff goal, his 10th playoff goal. Uh, for, for the Islanders, Brock Nelson got a seventh playoff goal via power play. But it wasn't enough as Tampa Bay takes the game. It's tied 1-1. Heading into game three, Tampa's able to edge out a close one here versus the Islanders on the road. Point gets another one, man. Uh, He scores again in the second period to take the lead. That's his 11th playoff goal. Tampa Bay up 2-1. Now we have game four in New York. They don't quit at home as both teams have 30 shots. But New York gets three power play opportunities versus Tampa's one. And Josh Bailey and Matthew Barzal score their six playoff goals. And Point adds another one to his total as he gets his 12th in defeat as the Islanders stay alive 3-2. So then we have Game 5. Not a lot to say in Game 5. This is as ugly as it gets. Uh, 8-0 smacking as New York and Varlamov. New York's Varlamov only plays 15 minutes. He's been battling injuries, which is bad news for the Islanders. Stamkos... 
gets his sixth and seventh playoff goals. Alex Kilhorn, uh, Kilhorn got his seventh and eighth, while Point gets in on the action again. 8-0, he's got to add another one, right? Uh, he gets his 13th playoff goal via power play, and Tampa outshoots New York 42-31. to That sets up this week. We have a pivotal Game 6 in New York as the Islanders look to push for Game 7 at home against the defending champs. That's happening tonight. Definitely worth tuning into. And we'll see if Braden Point could keep adding to that crazy playoff uh, total. Then we got Montreal and Las Vegas. Montreal ties up the series with a 3-2 victory uh, in Game 2. Vegas outshot Montreal 31-23. They had two power plays as well. Uh, while Montreal had none. But Carey Price really getting hot at the right time. He comes up big with 31 saves. Joel Armia and Tyler Toffoli both score their fifth playoff goals in Game 2. So now we're Game 3. Montreal goes up 3-2 and a 3-2 victory behind Price's 45 saves as they are outshot 45-27 by Vegas. And Vegas had four power plays to Montreal's two. But again, Price coming up clutch, keeping them in. So game four in Montreal, Vegas ties it up in OT as they are outshot 28-21. But Nicholas Roy has his fourth playoff goal to end it in overtime. Big game in overtime. That set up game five. Montreal takes it to Vegas on the road 4-1 as Vegas doesn't score until the third period. So now we got another game six in Montreal on Thursday as they look to close out Vegas at home. I thought Vegas was going to win in six, so this is a shock to me, but getting hot goalies at the right time. Carey Price is doing it. New York's battling goalie issues. It's going to be hard to stop the defending champion, Tampa Bay. You know, I picked the Avs, thought the Avs could do it. They didn't make it. We'll see if anyone can stop them. And then some other hitters around the sports world. My non-story story. You know, this is a story, but it's not a big story. My guy, Rafael Nadal, we talked about the French Open against Djokovic, is now going to turn down the Olympics and Wimbledon to heal up. You know, he's been battling injuries and wants to prolong his career. And I love it, man. Let's keep getting some major wins. Beat the shit out of Djokovic and the rest of the squad. Um, I'm all for it. Was bummer to see him lose on the on, on the clay court in the French Open. Uh, but hopefully he heals up and performs and he could continually to win um, at the later half of his career. But that's it, my guys. Episode 31 in the books. We'll be back next week for episode 32. Um, and we also have business episode six with Zach Batson. Check that out. But also don't forget the guys at Fueled Supplements, Josh Morton and crew keeping us going. Uh, any supplements, buying from the small business, people helping people, that's what it's about. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off, and we'll see you guys next week.